deck the halls with bows of holly. Fa la 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 la. Tis the season to be jolly. Fa la 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 la. Now we don our gay apparel. Fa la 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 la. Now the yuletime carol. Fa la 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 la. That's how Christmas should be, right? Joyful, filled with anticipation and happiness. But a lot of times it's a little bit more like this. Tis the season to be waiting. Fa la 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 la. Lines and crowds, my nerves are grating. Fa la 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 la. So I don my hat. And jacket, fa la 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 la. Time to face this Christmas racket, fa la la la. <laughs> See what happens when you drive a moving truck across Nebraska without a radio? And you also see why I'm not auditioning for the praise team. It's a season for waiting, isn't it? Seems like that's all we do around this time of year. We wait. And for some of us, and for many of us, all, a lot of the time, it's that kind of waiting. It's like, I can't wait. I can't wait for Christmas to get here. I can't wait for school to get out for Christmas break. I can't wait to open presents. I can't wait till the family gets together for dinner. I can't wait for Christmas Eve worship candlelight service. I can't wait. But a lot of times it's the other kind of waiting, you know, that impatient, what are you waiting for kind of, you know, waiting. You know, like when we see the extra traffic that goes on this time of year and the light turns green and nobody goes, what are you waiting for? What color green do you want, right? We wait as we people go across the crosswalk in the parking lot as we're trying to find a parking spot. We wait for the person to get their cart out of the middle of the aisle at the grocery store. We wait in line to get out of the store. It's like all we're doing is waiting. And what are you waiting for anyway? I learned some lessons about waiting in the clothing store. Now, I do and all, in all honesty, enjoy going shopping with my wife for clothes every once in a while. Because it, nothing makes me happier than to see her happy. And when she can find an outfit where she's comfortable, uh, where she feels like she looks good in it, and she has my approval, then she's happy. And then that makes me happy. But to be really brutally honest with you, i got to tell you, the part I don't enjoy about it is waiting, especially outside the women's dressing room. <laughs> have you ever noticed that they never have chairs outside the dressing room? And if they do, there's only one. And there's about five guys sitting there waiting. And so we're leaning on the, the clothing racks, right? And the conversation goes something like this. What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for my wife to pick out the Christmas present I'm going to surprise her with. <laughs> what are you waiting for? You've been here an awful long time. I'm waiting for my wife. Are you sure she's still here? Maybe she left the store and you're waiting for nothing. All right? You know, sometimes we struggle with this whole thing called waiting. And at Christmas time, it seems like we do a lot of waiting. 
And that is borne out in the Bible passages that Pastor Dave just read. The, the last one he read for the gospel reading, the people were waiting. They'd been waiting a long time for years, hundreds, even thousands of years. Waiting for this Messiah, this Savior that God had promised way back in the Garden of Eden. 2,000 years earlier, 4,000 years earlier. They'd been waiting. And now there was this guy by the name of John out in the wilderness. Uh, kind of a strange kind of guy with strange clothing, with ate strange food. But people were flocking. Crowds were flocking out into the wilderness to see this guy because he had this message. He said, the time for waiting is just about over. It was this I can't wait kind of feeling as he was telling him, you know, it's time to get ready because he's just about here. This Messiah, the Savior, is just about here after all these years. So repent. And he gave them a baptism of repentance and people couldn't wait. But in our other reading, the first one that Pastor Dave read from 2 Peter, it was a different kind of waiting. These people were waiting for the Messiah too, but not in the same way that we're waiting for this, or excuse me, not the same way that the first group was waiting for the Messiah. This was a group of people that knew that Jesus had come. They'd been led to faith in this Jesus who had been born in a manger. That Christmas Eve, that very first. They were the ones that were convinced that this Jesus had lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and suffered their sins upon that cross. That he had risen from the dead, and that now he is ascended and sitting at the right hand of God. They were convinced that he was coming back, and they're going, it's been 35 years. What's God waiting for? What is this Jesus waiting for? Now, why were they doing that? Why couldn't they wait? Why were they asking, what are you waiting for, Jesus? Well, the reason they were doing that was because it wasn't easy to be a Christian in those days. In Jerusalem, the Jews didn't want anything to do with Christianity because they didn't believe, the Jews didn't believe that this Jesus was the Messiah. They were looking for a different kind of Messiah. They wanted a strong, mighty, political, military leader. Someone who was going to lead the charge and reestablish Israel as a world power. And this Jesus, he was kind of a meek, mild kind of guy. Talk about loving your neighbors. Not the kind of guy that they were looking for as their Messiah. And so they wanted to smash Christianity. They wanted it wiped out. And so at best, what they would do is ostracize the Christians. They would leave them out. They wouldn't uh, do business with them. It was hard to make a living. Then there were guys like Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul, who overtly went and drug people out of their homes, took them off to prison, and some of them were killed. But not only did the Jews not like the Christians, neither did the Romans, because these Christians were, were not the kind of people that were strong and self-reliant. These were the ones that had, had this like strange worldview, like there's only one God out there. We have all kinds of gods, gods that can do all kinds of different things. Our emperor is God, and these people say that this emperor isn't God. And not only that, but these Christians were like anti-social and, you know, countercultural. 
they were, they were telling us to, telling people to do things that, that the Romans thought were normal, good things to do. You know, no idol worship, no sexual immorality, things like that. And so the Christians were ostracized again. But not only that, but pretty soon people started blaming things on the Christians. Somewhere around the time when Peter wrote these letters, uh, there was a fire in Rome. And the Christians were blamed. The rumors went around that they were the ones that started the fires. And so people were starting to seek out Christians, dragging them off to prison, torturing them, and sometimes even killing them. And things got worse as time went. And so Peter is dealing with this. And the people are crying out, What's taking you so long? What are you waiting for, God? We can relate to that, can't we? Now, I understand that here in the United States, you know, we're not sought out and thrown into prison. We may deal with a little bit of ridicule. People may push us and shun us off to the side a little bit. But we don't have people killing us and torturing us and persecuting us in that way. Now, there are places in this world where that does happen. There are places where Christians are being killed for their faith, where they're being imprisoned, where they're being torn apart from their families. And those people most certainly are crying out, what are you waiting for, God? Jesus, why aren't you coming? Come, Lord Jesus, quickly come. But we ask that same question, don't we? Just today, I think I've had three, maybe four people talk to me about things that are going on in their lives. Cancer, trouble with the law, other health issues that are requiring them to move away. We have people that are struggling. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we've got that all around our world. You know, disease and cancer and other diseases that, that ravage our bodies. Sorrow and sadness and, and difficulties that, that hurt our hearts. And our souls are laid bare as we doubt whether God even exists. And we wonder, Jesus, what are you waiting for? Why don't you come back? Come, Lord Jesus, quickly come. Folks, I want you to know that God hears your cries he heard the cries of the people back in Peter's time. He hears our cries now. And God sent Peter to write some letters. He wrote two of them. And in the first letter, Paul calls the people that he's writing to, he said, to the elect of God, exiles in this world scattered. Now, why were they scattered? Well, very likely these were the people that, that heard Peter and the other apostles on that first Pentecost, 50 days after the first Easter. As they were filled with the Spirit and they proclaimed the Word of God in a way that had never happened before. As they proclaimed the resurrection and these people became believers, we're, we're told that 3,000 of them became believers that day. As they heard, heard uh, Peter and the other apostles talk, all of a sudden they said, what must we do? They were convicted, and Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. This is for you and your families. 
and you will be saved. And these people came to know the Lord, and they scattered. They went back home because they had been in Jerusalem for the Passover and the Pentecost, and they, now they were ready to go back home. And they took that good news with them, scattering. But they were also scattered because of all of that persecution. They moved away from their homes to get away from the persecution. But they were also exiles, strangers. They didn't fit in. And then in the second letter, something else was happening. False teachers were starting to crop up in the church. And these false teachers were saying, what about this second coming that you guys are talking about? Where is it? Nothing's changed since the beginning of time. The sun rises in the east, it sets in the west. People go about their work, they go about their school, they go about doing everything just like any other day. What is this you're talking about? And then Peter writes this to the people. But I don't want you to overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some of you count slowness, but He is patient toward you. This God that we're talking about is a God who has no beginning and has no end. Time to Him is of no essence. It's not like you and me where we count the minutes and the days and the months and the years. To God, time isn't important. What is a measly 2,000 years when there might be a few people that, that might be saved? Because this God of eternity made us, and His greatest desire is that we would be able to spend all the rest of eternity with Him. Not just you and me, but everyone. And so God is patient, desiring that everyone would be saved. I got to tell you about this thing, you know, waiting outside the women's dressing room. I think I'm on to something here. Because I've learned a few years ago that if I participate in the whole goal of what we're doing in the store there, that things go a little bit better. If I'm available for my wife to go get another pair of slacks or a different blouse of a different color or a different size so that she could try that on, things go a little bit better. Time goes a little bit faster. I enjoy my time there. Waiting isn't such a big deal. I've also learned that if I become a little proactive and maybe start browsing around and looking at the different things and pick out an outfit that I think my wife might look good in, that we might find a hidden treasure, something that we missed before, something that she may not have ever uh, tried on had I not given it to her. And every once in a while something happens. Three things happen when I participate in the goal of that shopping trip. A, the waiting becomes a whole lot more pleasant. B, I'm actually being proactive and participating in the goals of what we're doing. And three, it pleases my wife. And I love my wife, and I want my wife to be pleased. And I think that that's what our Lord God wants from us. 
He says, I can't wait. I can't wait to have all of you in heaven with me. But then he says, what are you waiting for? I want you to be a part of this. I heard a story in a devotion this week that I'd like to share with you. It's about a grandfather and his grandson. The grandson was four or five years old. And the grandfather kind of wanted to share what Christmas was like when he was a child. And he was telling his grandson, Ryan, he said, you know, when I was a little boy, we didn't have artificial trees. We had real trees. Every year, we would go into the forest, into the woods, and we would cut down a cedar tree, and we would take it into our house for Christmas. We'd get that all decorated and ready to go. And now, to this day, every time I smell a cedar tree, no matter what time of year, it makes me think of baby Jesus. It helps me to remember that, that my Lord Jesus came from heaven for me. Well, this little Ryan, he was pretty intrigued with this whole idea. He thought this would be pretty cool. So he convinced his dad, that they should, or his grandpa, that they should do that. So grandpa and grandson got together. They got their jackets on. They picked up a saw and an axe and a shovel. And they went out into the woods and made a great adventure of looking for this Christmas tree. A little cedar tree. And Ryan was given the task of choosing which tree would be the perfect tree for their house. They came to this tree, and Ryan fell in love with this one tree. This was it. This was the tree. And the grandpa's looking at it and saying, well, as far as trees go, this isn't the greatest one out there. But because Ryan chose this tree, this was going to be the tree. So they dug it up. They decided rather than cut it down that they would dig around the roots and they would put it into a bucket and then they would carry it back to the house. And so with great labor they did that. They brought it into the house. They watered it. And then they started trimming it around it and they decorated it and they put it up. And they had to put it on a stand because the tree was only about two feet tall. Now as far as trees were concerned, this wasn't the most beautiful Christmas tree ever. But to Ryan and to his grandpa, it was perfect. When Christmas was over, instead of throwing the tree away, they took it outside and they planted it into the front yard of the grandpa's house. That was 10 years ago. And a new tradition started. Every year, grandpa and Ryan would get together and this has been happening for 10 years straight, that they've gone out and put lights on this Christmas tree. This is their Christmas tree. That tree now is about 12 feet tall. It's strong, and it's healthy, and it's the most beautiful Christmas tree you'd ever want to see. That, my friends, is a little bit of a picture of what I think God is calling us to do. He is telling us that I'm coming back again, and I can't wait. I can't wait to come back and get you and bring you into my kingdom that I could spend eternity walking and talking and hanging out with you. But I'm going to ask you to participate in that. I want you to participate and be a part of this whole reason why we're waiting. And the reason why we're waiting is because I want everybody to be in heaven with me. I want you to plant the seed. I want you to nurture it. I want you to support one another and encourage one another to be in worship together where we can listen to the words of God as I speak to you. 
as I come to you in the body and blood of Holy Communion and remind you that I am with you and I will never leave you. And that I'm coming back again in person and I'm going to take you to be with me. Jesus says, I can't wait. And then he asks you and me, what are you waiting for? Let's get to work. Amen?